Hi again, everybody. I'm Eric Fletcher. Welcome into another episode of Chasing Better Conversations, where we begin with this idea that consequential change often begins with the best conversations we are able to muster. In order to dive a bit deeper, I get to sit down for discussions with some friends, some colleagues, and a healthy dose of brand new acquaintances along the way. On today's episode, we are rejoined by Larry Bridgesmith, our friend who is a lawyer, a professor of law at Vanderbilt Law School, and as we've discussed, a perpetual legal innovator. Today, we'll touch on one of the uh, most current innovations he's engaged with, guardrails, as it relates specifically to artificial intelligence. But today, let's dive back into our conversation about AI with Larry Bridgesmith. Where should we not be talking about generative AI? Are there places where it creeps in, you hear it creep into discussions as a, mm-hmm. it's the shiny silver bullet. Right. Uh, well, you, where, where, where should it be set aside? Well, it should be set aside when we think it's the, it's the Oracle. I don't mean the technology company. I mean that guy up in the mountains who knows all the answers yeah. to everything. And all we have to do is find him and sit at his feet for a little while. Yeah. And we're going to go away with the right answer for every problem. Generative AI is not an oracle. It will never be an oracle. So treating it like an oracle in law, we know the story of the lawyers in New York. <laughs> you mean it can't write a brief for me? Well, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It, it can write a fabulous brief, but it may have to make up a lot of stuff that don't exist in order to make the best brief. Because generative yeah. AI is trained to satisfy the person who asks the question. Ah, but That's yeah. what it's trying to do, is satisfy yeah. you. Okay, we that's saw it. that everybody read about the Iwanka case and the mm-hmm. lawyers who were sanctioned. Do you think that still happens? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Last week it happened again. To my knowledge, it may be happening everywhere every day in which we think that generative AI is the oracle. We ask it the question, it gives us the answer, and game over. We accept it. We accept it as gospel, and then we use it to our detriment and, frankly, to our ethical threat because we have as lawyers the duty to supervise everything that we rely upon in order to represent our clients in the best way possible. That means our paralegals, our legal assistants, our associates, we supervise them at our ethical peril. Technology is no different. It's just another assistant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we would file a brief with a federal court written by our legal assistant. I just don't think that we would. <laughs> yeah. Without reviewing it, without checking it, without reading the cases, I think that's a stretch. From the marketing side of the fence or the sales side of the, the equation, the, the idea that uh, I can go to chat GPT or uh, any tool utilizing uh, the, the technology and get the right, get it to write the perfect mm-hmm piece of cop advertising copy or the perfect blog post or any of that is and yet I hear I hear that discussion almost every day. 
Well, I use ChatGPT. Not a matter of fact, I'm less. I have been less inclined to use that particular large language model. More enthused today about Microsoft's Copilot for a variety of reasons. I use Bard. I use Perplexity. I use Anthropoc- Anthropics Claude. I don't use one model. Just like I wouldn't go to the library, pick out one book, and find one case and cite it in my arguments to the Supreme Court. Yeah. No. Uh, Larry, you, you work with this stuff on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. How do I decide mm-hmm. which one of those tools is right? This is going to sound crazy. It's an experiential journey. I mean, you, sure. can, you can read a lot of stuff. You can do tutorials. But until you get into the use of these models to understand what their strengths and what their weaknesses are, and for what mm-hmm. purposes they serve best, you can't really make that human determination of exercising mm-hmm. discretion and judgment over, should I use a hammer or does a screwdriver fix this problem? That's on me. Yep. Yep. Those are just tools. That's what we've done from the beginning. We've ex- mm-hmm. exercised our experiential learning to make discretionary and uh, appropriate judgments yep. based on not on the bright, shiny new thing, but on what it brings to our deliberations in light of our experiences. That's just the nature of human decision-making and professional dis- discretion and judgment. So again, it sounds like it's an oversimplification, but if we're not doing the same thing with something that we have believed to be an oracle, we're turning our fate and our client's well-being over to a hallucinator. And it, one of my engineering friends equates the maturity of generative AI today to a five-year-old. Wow! Would you turn your five, would you turn your life and your liberty? and your license over to a five-year-old? I don't think so. Yeah, but you're, you're killing my need for a silver bullet, man. Precisely. We've always I, wanted I, silver bullet. I, I need a silver bullet that will fix it today. Sure. And that's our <laughs> biggest problem, isn't it? That's why we yeah. take the shortcuts, and that's why we lose our law licenses. How do you approach the subject of putting the guardrails in place that uh, make – generative AI, a safe, dependable, uh, viable tool in our space? Uh, That's the best question that we should all ask of ourselves for virtually everything. But it goes back to the principle of the people, the process, and the technology. And if the right guardrails are not installed and we're allowing incompetent people to use inadequate processes. We can't fix it with technology. So we have to begin at the basics, the foundation. And what we're watching globally are major, major global uh, nation states, U.S. included, U.K., the European Union, Australia, Canada. They're basically saying, time out. We don't really know what guardrails are needed for generative AI, but we know they're needed. So as we watch this evolve and we'll see it refine itself over time, and the question is, can we wait or do we need to begin implementing them now? That's what guardrails Mm -hmm. technology seeks to do. 
But yes, we're going to see it refined over time. But what is coming out of the earliest conversations? Are there core principles that should be a part of generative AI and frankly, every AI to ensure a higher degree of trust in the outcome? And they include such things as data governance. Who owns the data? Who has the right to do with that data what they choose to do? That's a huge issue because we saw in the Cambridge Analytica debacle, the Facebook data could actually turn elections if used in the wrong way by the wrong people. Who owns the data? Well, every time I post because I clicked yes, I've given that data over to Meta, and Meta can do with it whatever it wants to. Well, that's an issue that needs to be addressed. What's the data governance model? What is the accountability factor? Who's responsible for bad results that come out of this? What's the transparency level? How can we know this is trustworthy? How do we assess the bias of the data set and or the algorithms because the two in conjunction is what give the output. And we've seen where generative AI has created legal liabilities for facial recognition that's inherently biased in parole hearings that predict a certain person is not going to do well out there based on racial data sets and it's untrustworthy. So transparency, explainability, data governance, compliance with ethical and legal parameters, and then most importantly, auditability. What we're watching happen in these regulatory initiatives statewide, nationwide, is there has to be a third-party audit process. So someone other than the seller of the service or the product has to be able to examine it for all of these characteristics of responsibility and then be able to give some assessment as to the degree to which any particular AI application complies with those principles. So those are the kinds of things that we're going to see continue to take shape. At Guardrail, what we seek to do is to create an industry standard that helps inform those regulatory initiatives about those principles and how best to apply them and maybe be a part of the process of influencing those regulatory outcomes. Talk a a little bit more about the specifics that you're involved with at Guardrail and how people might access that. Well, you can find us easily enough at www.guardrail.tech, T-E-C-H, meaning that's our website. It tells you about the work we're doing and the the differences in approach that we think we need to be taking and happy to discuss any of that. But the three things that we do primarily are consult on the front end and on the back end to be able to help people assure themselves that this is responsible, trustworthy AI application. And we've done the job we need to do to be ready to implement it and then audit it against those same principles. That's a consulting function. And then we have a product that we call guardrail for generative AI, meaning how do we assimilate the responses that we're getting into a trustworthy uh, overview of the sources of that information and the reasons to believe them to be true. 
and that involves the, the contradiction finder. And then the third product that we have would, would apply to a meeting like this. It's called sunscreen to prevent either the intentional or the unintentional disclosure of confidential information in a virtual meeting. I mean, I could put up anything on this site. You could screen capture it. Your audience could screen capture it. Did I have the right to share private information? I may have done so unintentionally, or I may have done so for evil purposes. Sunscreen prevents it from being seen. I mean, it operates hmm. nanoseconds to determine the nature of its confidential private categories and then gives the user who's prepared to share it the option of saying, yes, it can be shared or no, it can't be shared, creating an archival record of the disclosure of confidential information through virtual meetings. So those are the products that we now have in place and the consulting that we do more to come. But what we're doing has been so enthusiastically uh, supported by the wide variety of businesses and governments that we have been speaking with over the last six months. It's, it's unlike anything that I personally have ever experienced in terms of market awareness. Are there two or three places where you'd recommend we turn? Yeah, the first stop would be LinkedIn. I mean, as a mm-hmm. social media, but really more of a business media site, at least mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. we hope to keep it if we're using it and not yep. go off into Facebook land or TikTok land. But, you know, we don't have any control over that. We just use it for the purposes that it service. That's a great place to start identifying um, interest groups. And there are mm-hmm. many, many interest groups surrounding this topic of artificial intelligence, generative AI. Uh, the ethics of AI. You only have to be a member of about three or four of them, and you're going to get daily information about developments that are going to be supported by references and citations that can take you to the original. That's a great place to start. You can also, if you want to get more deeply uh, engaged, I've taken two or three Coursera courses. Some Mm -hmm. of them are absolutely free about generative AI, about... um, the elements of artificial intelligence and related technologies. So you can educate yourself in fairly short order with free educational uh, experiences if you want to get conversant. So Mm -hmm. uh, those are the two places that I would start. And I'm I'm proud to say this. The um, law school with which I'm affiliated, Vanderbilt Law School, just this week announced the creation of the Vanderbilt Artificial Intelligence Law Lab. So Vanderbilt is creating one of its programs to provide both academic instruction and community service about how AI in the world of law is or should be operating. So just check out the Vanderbilt website and check out V-A-I-L-L, Vanderbilt Artificial Intelligence Law Lab, and you'll see the work that's being done by brilliant people in this space. Great work. Before we wrap uh, crystal ball for a minute, Mm -hmm. 48 months from now, what do you think this conversation will sound like? Um, Well, we're going to be far more informed than we are now. We're, we're in the wake of a, people talk about the industrial revolution, but we also have recognized there are segments of industrial revolution. Definitely. Steam engine is one. Some people say we are in the fourth industrial revolution. 
regardless. Mm -hmm. When the newest industrial revolution hits, it disrupts everything. The old order has disappeared. We've got to find our bearings, find our grounding. I believe in the time frame that you just mentioned, we're going to be well into the fourth industrial revolution. There are going to be some unexpected changes, just as there was with the steam engine. But the thing about every one of those industrial revolutions that preceded, what followed the revolution were guardrails. So it's just what's the next set of guardrails that we're going to rely upon to generate and trust the use of these technologies for human benefit and not harm. Because if there were no guardrails around automobiles, none of us would set foot on the street. There are things called rules of the road. <laughs> there are mechanical devices that have been legislated in the use of our automobiles. There are limitations that are imposed upon the technology for the safety and the well-being of the public. It will be no different with, guard, with artificial intelligence, in particular generative AI. It will be harnessed. It will not be allowed to act on its own, but it's up to us to ensure those guardrails are safe and secure. Let me wrap with one more question in this. Uh, let me, I hope I can articulate it in a, uh, in, a, in a meaningful way. Let's stipulate that I believe that this is going to happen whether we want it to or not. I believe it uh, will be a it, it will be a uh, terrific tool. What can we do to ensure that AI almost instigates or stimulates greater need for human connection? Because I believe that that could be an outcome. Uh, does that? Mm -hmm. Is that connected or resonate in any way with you? Uh, it does. And there have been some who have said that generative AI will uh, freeze the human innovation initiative. The, it, will, it will prevent <laughs> us from wanting to change because we'll simply let it do all the change for us. I believe that's possible if we see it as an oracle mm. and we're no longer choosing to be in the loop. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's possible if we choose to be in the loop and are assessing these impacts of this transformative technology on our family, our friends, our communities, our businesses, our nations. We're going to be more and more educated about what things need to be done as opposed to what things might be done. There's a difference between what can be done and what should be done. Sure. Lots of things can be done. We're the ones that have to decide what should be done. And the only way we'll do that is to be engaged in the conversation in whatever level, to whatever degree we can, and not be uh, overwhelmed by the hype. Right now, the hype is in charge. Yeah, and it is overwhelming. I tend to believe that the right path ends up with us placing higher value on human connection. With a higher value on on uh, what we can do, what what the brain can do, or what what the heart can do. This conversation, uh, my sense is, can push us back in touch with each other. I don't know if uh, I may be whistling in the well, uh, whistling in the dark, or whistling, whistling by the graveyard. Yeah, well, I may whistling <laughs> be whistling with you. That is certainly my hope. Because what yeah. we are not understanding is the impact of too much isolation mm 
that's been mm. generated first by the pandemic and just since, since that time from the comfort of not having to interact. So what's, what's capable of shocking us to our senses? Well, informed mm. information about the consequences of our human behavior. Can generative AI play a part in that? Absolutely it can. Because it can marshal the facts to support understanding about the symptoms that we're dealing with, with far greater um, thoroughness. I won't say um, necessarily accuracy, but I will say with far more thoroughness to enable mm -hmm. us for them to have a different kind of conversation. And the conversations that you are leading are those kinds of conversations. Don't stop. The conversations are essential. I think uh, the the move back toward connectivity uh, it'll be different connectivity. Sure, for sure. This is a different way to connect for you and I. But it's a connection that we didn't have for what twenty years <laughs> and, 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 until something forced us to to do this. So uh, I I I do think great innovations result in pushing us closer to understanding maybe what's really critical for humanity. Um, and that, that may be a little too lofty, but uh, well, that's my story. I don't think so. And I share your perspective because when yeah. the evidence is in, our hierarchical command and control model of running the world has pretty well failed us. In large part. I mean, there are great benefits from our organized and highly um, structured societies and corporations and so forth. But is it adequate to the purpose? And a lot of research, and this is where generative AI can come in to help, has established that the best organizations, be they political, be they organizational, be they faith-based, are interdependent. And that interdependence is what's different from the way we are today and the way we need to become. And generative AI can help prove that. It can find yeah. the use cases to establish the difference between the two approaches to human engagement. Yeah. Um, so it's a part of a process, but I share your both your beliefs and your optimism because I am optimistic that this is the best time of human existence because we have these capabilities to communicate across the world in real time, just like we are right now, and share ideas and insights that maybe hadn't occurred to us. Because now if we're open-minded rather than closed-minded, we can begin to embrace the things that make a difference. We like to say around here that conversations are the fabric mm -hmm. of relationships, they're the fabric of community, and as inarticulate as I have been throughout this mm -hmm. conversation today, I think it, it's a critical conversation and we'll do it again. Well, conversations, uh, well-informed or otherwise, are what um, open our minds to possibilities. Let's not stop having conversations. There you go. Yep. Thanks again, my friend. Thank you, Eric. Always good to see you. Well. I have a feeling we won't stop having this conversation as we'll revisit it, I'm sure, multiple times in the coming months. Thanks again to Larry for uh, leading us. 
And thanks to you for joining us for today's Chasing Better Conversations. If you enjoyed today's content, I'd appreciate it if you'd uh, like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your podcast material. And until next time, here's to better conversations. Thank you.